You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. We're live. Got a hot mic here. I'm looking at a a new t-shirt on you today that I've never seen before. And I think we might need some sort of periwinkle blue shirt for the running public, having seen that now strapped across your chest. You getting some shirt envy over there, Bracken? I am. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I like that color. We're due. We're due for some new shirts because our inventory is pretty much out. And actually, I'm glad you brought up Shirts Bracken because I've been moving and have had no internet at my house for like two weeks. And so I'm doing the hotel thing for another week while my current house is being remodeled. But anybody who's ordered a shirt in the last two weeks, we have not, or 10 days, we have not had a chance to print your labels and send them out yet. So be patient with us. There's only like not many shirts have sold in the last two weeks, but I'm glad you brought it up. But they're coming, folks, those who have ordered recently. I'm glad you said it because I'm about to start getting messages the way you get messages if anything goes wrong with training peaks. Yeah, you are getting yelled at. Yeah. We'll put one in. Good. Yeah. So you had a weekend. You had a a big race, hot race, semi-long race on Mm -hmm. Friday, I believe. Yeah, Friday was um, kind of the the one trail race that I was excited to do, uh, looking forward to the most, I would say a non-OCR event, the Afton Trail Race, which is a 25K or a 50K. I opted for the 25K. I wasn't quite ready for another 50K, and it didn't align with races coming up <clears throat> coming up to do a bigger event like that. So went out and hammered it on Friday morning and uh, took home the W Bracken, which I felt pretty good about. You should. You talked prior that there was a pretty stiff course PRs or course record set there, and you weren't too far off. You're on what, 141 for a 25K on technical hilly terrain? Yeah, 141. You were saying sub 140 is nasty. Typically when, yet last year it was run as like a regular style race. It was one in 139, um, but that was a mass start race. And then I think the year before it was one in like 142. So I was right in there for a time trial format. Um, I sifted kind of through the data after the race and there were four of us about six miles in, all within a minute of each other on mm. the timestamps. Um, and then my stay power is what what brought me through. I put four minutes basically on the rest of the field in the, the back half of the race, uh, which felt pretty good. And that's where it got more technical, more gross. You had to have skill work on the descents and had to climb aggressive. And so uh, came together. I was very happy. I worked very hard. As I told you before, I went for a quality workout today and my legs are still smashed. So I got, I got some recovering to do. 25K, you can't fake that distance. But it's short enough where you have to go and burn it hot. It, yeah. It is. 15 miles seems like a long ways, but it's not long enough where you can relax a whole lot. It's, it's almost in the worst. We, we talked off Mike about this prior to the race, but it's almost the worst distance because anything shorter than that, you can crack the whip from the beginning to some extent and anything longer than that, you can really build into the race, but that hour and a half hour 45 distance, 
the distance has to be respected, but it also has to be disrespected at the same time. You've got to balance the line between not pacing it and pacing it. It's so true. And you know what happened? Um, so you know Justin Grunewald. Uh, yep. He's been a guest on our podcast, and he's an accomplished ultra runner. Well, Justin Grunewald uh, splits time between Colorado and Minnesota. He still works a hospital here in Minnesota, but now he has his, I think, I think girlfriend still is what it is, Amanda Basham and their young one in Colorado. So he goes out, Colorado, lives there for like five to seven days, then drives back to Minnesota, works for like five to seven days. He works like 12-hour shifts. He goes back and forth like every week. Well, he happened to be here for the trail race. And if anybody knows the Minnesota area and Afton uh, State Park, Justin Grunewald pretty much runs the show out there. We went back and forth on some crowns, but that's kind of his territory. Well, Justin had to work on Friday and Saturday, but he decided to go run the course on Saturday afternoon when he got done with his shift. And he ran 138 high. (laughs) (laughs) But it was past the window? (laughs) Yeah. So so somebody ran the course, or 139, I think. He beat me by like two minutes. So somebody ran the course faster than I did, but didn't officially register because he couldn't run the window. So I technically got beat this weekend, <laughs> but he didn't wear a timing chip because he couldn't make it. So uh, I feel like I kind of cheated a little bit. That's a weird feeling, isn't it? You did nothing wrong, and yet you feel like I, you have to apologize for winning. Oh, he let me know he beat me too. He, he let did. Me know. Uh-huh. So really, I have a, I have, I have a podium as a, a true podium, oh, yeah. maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, you had a race this weekend. You, uh, jumped in your mile, your big mile road race. I did because I didn't want to, like we've said this several times mm-hmm. for myself because of the mindset thing that the things that I don't want to do are the things I need to do. So last week I started, uh, I p- picked up a, a training plan and began and I was tired from the week already. <laughs> I had run more than I'd run in the previous nine or 10 weeks and thought, I don't want to go race. It's 1.30 p.m. start time on July 4th. So it's like 90, 93 degrees. You know, it's there's not an ounce of shade on course. It's just not fun. So I mm-hmm. so I went and did it to, to get that 50% scared straight feeling and 50% get a good baseline metric to kick off a training block. And continue. Well, two years ago, this is the one I, I won in 425. Which is a great time on a road race midday. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it's so hot always. And this year it was one in 423. Oh, one wow. 423, 426, 433 or something like that. And then I was fourth in 445. Ooh, there was a gap. Yeah, it would, there were four of us at the quarter and there were three of them at the finish. So I went out at... 423 pace and then just faded and faded and faded. I ran in no man's land for 1400 meters. And that effort will make you so much better though. Yeah. I don't care. So did you feel, did you feel that's about where you were at 445 or did you feel like you could have popped one and you just didn't? No, I thought my, I told my dad somewhere between 440 and 448 is I'm happy with that. Uh, 200 meters in, I looked down at the watch was not feeling an ounce of the effort. And I was running 420 pace and I was thinking, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and I'll kick everyone. And then 400 (laughs) meters in, I thought, 
all right, they're gone. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't hold on to this, but I'll probably run like 435, 438. And then there's a slight dip at 400 meters and a slight incline, very slight, like 12 feet drop, 12 feet gain. And then you get up to the top at about 900 meters. And every step from there on in was just hot and miserable. Now those last, the last 700 meters took a half hour. It felt like. <laughs> and, and, might just, as well have. and you know how in a mile, the only way to run fast is to be closing. Yep, yep. Every step I took past 600 meters was slower and slower yeah. and slower because I went out to race rather than to run a fast yep. time. And I paid for it big time. In fact, I almost got run down by the people behind me because mm. the, the second pack was closing and closing. And I was just praying that the finish line got here. So it was miserable. And for about 20 minutes afterwards, I didn't want to get up off the ground. And <laughs> it was just so yeah. hot. <laughs> you know what, though? When you say that 12 foot of gain, um, that's kind of laughable, right? But when you're running really fast, yeah, 12 foot of gain might as well be 100 feet of gain. It hits like that hard. So yeah. if Everyone you can't push through that, they did too. Yeah, it's yeah. just the faster you run, the harder the inclines hit. Um, but I bet you if you went and you ran this again in like two weeks, you might you might be 10 seconds quicker. Yeah, I think I could have run cracked 440 there had I gone out in 70 seconds. Hey, that's not what you were there for. You were there no. to play ball. It wasn't a ball because, I mean, what's the difference? 439, 445. It doesn't change my life. What it did is I went out and I raced, and that was the important part. Um, a question for you then. So you have this running streak of two things, and it's run a mile under five minutes, I believe. Yeah, check this out. And- and then dunk a basketball. What are you showing me there? Oh, is that like a bursitis on your Achilles or what is that? <laughs> just a big blister. <laughs> ran, for, ran for four minutes and 45 seconds and just <laughs> ripped the crap out of my feet. <laughs> yeah, that's a guy who didn't wear socks and wear road flats probably. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, didn't have, I was running out of time. Well, because it's a point to point race. And you park near the finish line and the start is a mile away but we parked a half mile from the finish line and I thought we were closer to the finish line. So we walked up to registration, which took way longer than I thought. And I left registration with the race starting in 17 minutes. And I still had to get a half mile back to the car and then a mile and a half back to the start line. Oh yeah. So then you walked in there in those gross shoes. Yeah. So I did a stride to the car didn't have time to do anything. And I just threw on flats and ran down to the start line doing surges all the way down as my strides and then got my breath together for a few minutes and then ran back. But anyways, I, I normally would have taped my heel and all that. So I just didn't have time. I was just trying to get to the start line. What was your shoe of choice? I went with this, this little pretty girl right here. Yeah, I like six, that Because it's a good shoe. I haven't earned a super shoe, Kirk, and I'm not going to use one for road mile anyways. You probably would have won if you had that super shoe on bragging. You know what I would have done is I would have run a time that no one should ever run in a super shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Too slow. Got to tell you what, there were a lot of people there. There were two kids there. One was probably 12 and the other was probably nine. The nine-year-old had the Endorphin Pro on, $225 shoe. And the the 12-year-old had the Alpha Fly on, $279 shoe. I just shook my head and my dad and I talked about it and we both had the same thought. There's only so many new experiences in life. You got to save some mystery for later on in life. 
Mm-hmm. Those kids are just ruined now. He's running that vapor fly, alpha fly at 12. What is there to look forward to in life? <laughs> I was running in Nikes, Nike Air Maxes with both air pockets popped, mm-hmm. worn throughout the toes. That's what I was lining up and running in. Now, I know you had something you were saying, but I want to finish this thought out. Yeah. When I was a freshman in high school, the Nike Ventilus Plus, there's somewhere here behind me on the wall, bright lime green, tons of ventilation. They were made for steeplechase, but all the elite runners wore those or the Jasaris basically mm-hmm. at that point. I had both. And they're over $100, which in 2001 was expensive for a track bike. And they went on sale on East Bay for like $70. And there were only a few sizes left. And I bought them. And I put them away in a box with the number 430 written on it. And I said, I, I can wear these shoes when I earn them. When I break 430 in a mile, I can start wearing the Ventilus. And so I ran in the waffle the Nike Waffle XCs that first year. And then I got a pair of shifts the second year. And then I wore the Kennedys the third year. In my first race outdoor as a senior, I ran 429. And then I dusted off the box and I raced the rest of my high school career in those shoes. Because there was the concept in our conference in our state at the time that the best people wore the best shoes. And you didn't wear those spikes until you were able to compete with those guys. Otherwise, you knew they were going to judge you at the line as one of the good runners. Then afterwards, when you ran 520 and they ran 420, they'd think that guy's a poser. Mm, so these kids are posers. Is that what you're saying, Bracken? Are you calling these little children posers, Bracken? <sighs> to an extent. And it's kind of one of those things like they can't even use it yet. You haven't even unlocked the speed to to use it. I just feel like you should save it for when you've done everything else possible and this is your final breakthrough. So it part of part of me part of me died inside and was saddened to see a 12-year-old in alpha flies and a 9-year-old in endorphin pros. Just thinking, yeah. man, there's you should be out running in your K-Swisses right now, not knowing better. And then someday when you're ready to really do something, that's when you you earn the weapon to get the job done. Yeah, that's on the parents, obviously. Um, and I would argue that your Ventilus Pluses are slower than your Kennedys. The Kennedy was the shoe that got you on your toes and got you ready to run fast. So I'm going I'm going Kennedy all day. So you were posing even before you were breaking 430 <laughs> in my eyes, Bracken. I suppose so. So anyways, you were saying something about that race. We were talking about the miles, talking about blistering. and Oh, I don't even remember. That was late years ago. It is. So anyways, we both raced. I raced for four and a four minutes and 45 seconds. You raced for an hour and 41 minutes. <laughs> Very drastically different races. Yeah. And I was miserable the rest of the day. I hadn't gone real, real anaerobic in a long time. <laughs> he can't fake that feeling. Oh, did that hurt? Yeah, I bet. You know what this taught me though? Um, and I was talking to you about this a little bit and, and then we'll get into our topic today, but um Nothing had been going right for me for two weeks. I had no home. My current home is under full blown. I'm almost, I might as well have knocked down the house and built a new one. Basically that's how much work I've been doing to it. So as you know, I've been in hotel rooms. I haven't slept on beds. I was in an air mattress in my girlfriend's basement and they have a cat and dog and I'm horribly allergic to cats. So then I had to get out of there, go to a hotel room. I'm eating fast food. I mean, every day I don't have a kitchen, so I'm eating like stuff that I don't feel good on bread and junk. I'm not sleeping much. 
And it's been like a shit show of two weeks for me. Like I've been out of sorts and I'm someone who doesn't do well. I do well with routine. I do well with organization. When my home is in order, the rest of my life is in order. And that seems maybe a little compulsive of me, but that's just how I am. And so this last two weeks, I've been living in disarray. Didn't have a good workout. I don't think I had one good workout in two weeks. Again, eating like junk, not sleeping. And I was a little worried about the race being like, I mean, there's nothing has been going right for me. And I was frustrated a lot. I had, you know, a few lost my mind a few times when I couldn't find something or it was packed away or you know how that goes. Yeah. And you, and you know what happened? I showed up and got the freaking job done anyways. And it just goes to show like it, it, this taught me more, this this trail race that nobody cares about, right? Most of our listeners don't even know it exists. It's a big one locally, but taught me more about like it's gonna be all right no matter what happens leading up into races. Like I learned a lot about just you show up you get your mind right and you go. Cause I didn't eat well at all. I didn't sleep well at all. I probably was underhydrated. all of those things. Um, didn't even have my running underwear on that. I normally would want to wear. No, really? You know, talk about throwing you ran your underwear. Dude, I ran in my cotton H and M sport trunks. <laughs> <laughs> Just were a they sobbing. <clears throat> no, they were light gray and then by the and they were dark gray (laughs) but anyways point being is i learned a lot about actually myself this weekend so i'm i'm going to carry that moving forward when you travel i could sometimes let things get in the way of of maybe my performance um after this shit storm of two weeks and then going and racing pretty well i i think nothing can nothing can break me now you know so it was good it was good on that that level too and i think it's a it's a good lesson for a lot of people to learn, hopefully, at some time. Like, everything goes wrong in the lead-up, yet you still show up and get the job done. So it was, a, it was a good mental breakthrough for me, I would say. That's really big to go through because there are definitely two types of people. The type that something goes wrong in their travel and they say, whatever, and they show up and they race. And then something goes wrong the day before race for other people and they already know my race is done. Mm-hmm. And you become the first person by going through it once or twice. I was yeah. so, I mean, high school, I had to eat the same thing before every race. I had to go to bed at the right time. I had to do the right breakfast. I eat the same thing always. And if it was off, I was off. College, pretty much same thing. And you know what broke me of that? Traveling to Spartan races. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the very first couple that I went to, I wasn't signed to any sponsorship. And so I was just paying out of my own pocket, like normal people have to do. Rough and I had a, a baby at home and we had just bought a home and, you know, bills for the first time in my life. And it was kind of foolish to be spending money on flights. So I would book red eye flights so that I could get the cheapest flight. And when something goes wrong and you're the last flight of the day, there's not a whole lot of options for figuring it out. And didn't take long to start getting to a hotel at two in the morning and having to get up in the races at seven and you're still an hour from the venue. It's, you know, those things happen. And mm-hmm. then, you pop a race anyways, and you realize, all right, my fitness doesn't care about my night before sleep. My fitness doesn't care how frustrated my meal situation. I ate out of a vending machine before, one of the biggest wins of my life. Really? What did yeah. you eat out of the vending machine? I think I had Snickers, pretzels, trail mix, and orange juice. That was your dinner? Yeah. it's a good dinner, Bracken. That was, that was the that was the most dense, nutritious stuff I could get out of there. Wow. I was trapped at uh, San Francisco Airport 
I had this whole plan. I'd been through SFO Airport before. They had a pretty sweet sushi stand. I was going to go through there, get my sushi, get there. And I was a little pressed for time. So I decided, no, no, that was the opposite. I had an embarrassment of time. I had more time than I ever had. So I thought I'm going to go down and check out the gate first, see what their dining options are there. And then I'll come back if I don't like it and get my sushi. And when I got to the gate, it said you had to take this stairwell down because there was construction to see it. So I go down there and then they whisk us onto a bus and we get bussed out to a temporary prefab building and you can't leave. And then we had a three hour delay. So I was stuck in this probably 20 by 40 room with 250 people and a makeshift bathroom, no drinking fountain and a vending machine. And my flight left at 9.50 at night. So that's what I ate out of for my night before the race. And I probably got into the, the hotel room at two or three in the morning and had to get up at 4.40. Just like a nightmare of travel. What race was this? That was Atlas Race in uh, Pac Northwest 2013. Okay. Max King showed up, uh, John Riccardi. They had taken eighth and ninth at the Olympic trial steeplechase that summer. And you beat them both? Yeah, in the last, in the last quarter mile. I, r- I ran them down and passed them on obstacles, but it just, it went to show everything went wrong. And that was mm-hmm. a turning point in my life. Like you felt here. I went home and told Lisa, I think I can get through anything before a race now, because that was terrible. I got to the mm-hmm. airport when we landed in Portland and the rental car place was closed and I had to walk <laughs> like one oh, in the morning, God. just walk places to try to get where I was going. So yeah, everything went wrong and I had my big breakthrough mentally. And not to mention, like, obviously the physiological problems when you're not eating what you want and not sleeping like you want, but then like the emotional drain, like the moments of frustration and that weighs on heavy too. And that can be, that can be heavy. So if you can let that roll off, then you're bulletproof. I I thought of you because um, you purposely something, I don't know if the listeners know about you, but you purposefully will like sleep deprive yourself the night before a big workout on Saturday. You'd be like, oh, I stayed up till midnight and I got up at 4.30 on purpose. Like I purposely stayed up and I purposely got no sleep because that's how it goes on race mornings anyways. So if we have to get up early or I get no sleep, that's okay. In fact, sometimes I do that on purpose. And I believe you still do that, don't you? When I'm prepping for a big race, like if I've gone through a full block of training and I'm going to do my big weekend three or four weeks out, that's generally when I do it, yeah. Did it before Jacksonville. Did it with you when we went up to Granite Peak when we had that big weekend. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but you had your your nightcap. Everyone laid down, and I pulled my phone out and watched something on my phone for a while. Oh, you did? Yeah, I just stayed up because it's always going to be worse than you expect the night before a race. And so before my biggest efforts, I do the same thing, so it's it's not weird. And if it's not new, then it's not scary. Yeah, but I thought of you about that too. And I was like, God, oh, Bracken does that on purpose. I've been, it's going to be no big deal. And it wasn't. So I don't know how long we need to dwell on it, but I think it's just something of value to purposefully plan yeah. to have like everything in the, and I'm talking two weeks of lead up, not going well, but um, I don't, things don't need to be perfect. Your body doesn't forget its training. It's hard work. And if your mind is right, you can do whatever you freaking feel like the body does what it is told. That's how, that's my, perspective it does what it is told and you tell it to go and it goes doesn't matter this isn't the episode yet but we're still i'm going to keep dropping i have two more things i do want to say on this now okay uh and i've mentioned this one before but the fastest mile i've run 
post collegiately. I ran 420 in August, I think, July or August, hot. And I had been roofing for the last two days with my dad at his house. And it was in the 90s and it's humid in Wisconsin in the summer. And I'd been exposed on the roof for hours each day. And the race was, again, like at 12 or 1. And at 1030, he said, why don't you just go do it? I said, all right. And I hopped off the roof, took a shower and drove to Madison and ran 420. And in that warm-up, I was warming up with my legs made out of cinder blocks. And I was just thinking, what am I even doing here? And then 600 meters in, I was still there. And 1,000 meters in, I was still there. And with 400 meters, I started kicking. And I got beat. But again, I ran a, a post-collegiate PR. And that was the kind of thing that if I had an athlete that said, I really want to run a PR, can I roof for about 8 to 10 hours a day for the first two days leading up to this race? I'd say, that's probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. You're right. Your body is, it does what it's told. And that, that morning up in Portland, when I woke up and I was so mad at everything, I said, my eyes were burning. I laid there in bed and then I just thought, and I'll never forget this thought is just that if I had to go through all this, I am damn sure going to make everyone else hurt today. And it was like in that moment, just like snap. It switched mm-hmm. to, why am I here to, all right, you all have to share in this with me. And I was locked in to race. Sometimes you have so many excuses that you have no more excuses. And now you're just, you're free to go out there and do everything. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's true. The the whole, it does what it is yeah. told thing. My, my uh, teammate in college, John Leroy, he was a multi-state champ in Wisconsin. Ran like nine flat in the two mile and I don't know, 410 in the mile anyways, teammate of mine. And before every race, he would be like, it does what it is told. And what he was talking about was like, how you feeling today, John? He's like, it does what it is told, which he meant like, my body's going to do what I tell it to do today. And I don't think he ever laid an egg. He was one of the grittiest guys I ever knew. And he slept on a lot of couches and he partied hard and he never always showed up. He was that guy that he might be smelling like liquor at, you know, sweating it out at practice but it does what it is told. And I, I've kind of embraced that as of late. I like that. It does what it is told. It does what it is told. Yep. And that puts the pressure back on you. That's okay. If you're a giant wuss, yeah. you, that's why you run bad. <laughs> and, if you, and if you're locked in, that's why you ran well. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. It's Sometimes it's the pilot. It's not Correct. the plane. Correct. It's almost always the pilot. You know? Let's not kid ourselves. Let's get into our topic today. Um, maybe there was a mini yeah, lesson. That was almost a mini topic. It was a bit of a mini topic. Didn't plan on going there, but, um, topic today guys is we, we feel like, um, like the July 4th weekend is sort of symbolic of the halfway point of this season. You know, we had all this anticipation coming into this year because we had all 2020 without racing. Well, the, the novelty of this has worn off or the, the allure, right? We're past the honeymoon phase and we've raced and all that is out of our system for most of us and now we're like into the grind of the year the heat is hot the training isn't necessarily as sexy anymore we're not as excited potentially about what's coming up because we've just we've worn ourselves out a little bit and so today's topic is how to approach the second half of the season season first half as of july 4th done now we move into the second half of the year and no matter what your races are, your goals are, um, I think it's important to like hone in on a few things as we go through the remainder of the season. So that's what we're going to chat out today. 
Yeah, it's it's timely. It's due. Mm-hmm. Because in all the athletes we talk to, there's really two camps right now. The camp, which is I'm dialed in. My my I have a big race coming up. I have two or three races in a row coming up. My plan is set. And whether I'm excited about training or racing or not, everything's laid out in front of me. And the other people are going, I wonder what I should do right now. Should I take a deload week? Should I take a mid-season off-season, like a, a two or three-week break? Should I really start building big? Should I go back to my basics? That's the camp we're talking to today. The, well, I'm not sure. What should I do next? But even if you are sure, like, okay, I have races on my schedule the remainder of the year. I have them coming up in the next month, two months, three months. Well, a lot of people get stuck in this trap of, okay, well, I've done some sharpening workouts and I've done some hero workouts. And now like, I feel like my fitness is sort of hitting a ceiling and I don't know where to go from here, but yet I have important races coming up. And so there's also that camp that feels sure about what they're doing, but they feel like they've already really put the time in and now they don't know what to do or how to sustain it. And so you have that camp as well. Yeah, that's, that's just true. And, and if you've been fit for a while, this is where you start to get nervous. I always get nervous. If I'm fit. I was feeling good in April. I was feeling really fit in May, June. I nailed my training. Like how long can I hold this for? Well, yeah. And you know, <clears throat> the most impressive thing I was watching, um, an interview with Matthew Centrowitz after his uh, qualified for the Olympics in the 1500. And I would say two thirds of that interview was about Cole Hawker. <laughs> and it was like, how do you feel about the young kid? Have you, you must've listened to this on flow track. And he said, the main thing that impresses me about this kid is how long he has been going for and me having peak fitness. They ran, you know, through the cross country gnats and then indoor and outdoor. And now he's still running peak fitness at the Olympic trials that's not easily done. And my guess is there's been a lot of jerry-rigging or, or, or puppeteering in between to make sure that can still happen. Because if you do it wrong, Cole Hawker doesn't qualify for the Olympics and perform well that long, that consistently. And so that that sort of aspect needs to be chatted out well, because otherwise what happens is people train hard, train hard, train hard, and their performance starts to slowly but surely go the wrong direction the second half of the season. And you see that with a lot of people who had great first half of the season and can't sustain it. So like that camp just needs to be chatted out too. That's where I was kind of going with that, that one. Okay. Well, let's start with that one then. The people who are fit and they're staring down the barrel of a long second half of the year. Where do they begin? It's a good position to be in. Mm-hmm. Um. Where, where does that where does that uh, fit in? Um, what I tell that person that's super fit is, yes, you can ride that wave, um, but you can't ride a wave. The wave eventually takes you to shore, right? And you got to start over. You got to swim back out, start over. And that's the same way with your fitness. You cannot sustain peak fitness for, for very long. And so um, that camp, if you're feeling real fit, and I think you – I remember who, – who was it that you said – I think it was like Chad Trammell or something back in the day. I was just thinking about using that example. You were. Well, Chad listened to this podcast. What's up, Chad? And he, uh, you said he got real fit. And then he told you he had a great race. And he said to you, yeah, I'm going to go take a week off after this. And you're like, why would you take a week off? You're fit. And he said, because I'm getting too fit too early. And I know I can't sustain it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was probably May or June, something like that. And he had just raced so well. And something had gone wrong. He had 
something that he had a hiccup in the middle of his race and he didn't have the finish he wanted. But I was like, man, you could go win something big right now. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to go take some time off. I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm getting too sharp, too fit. And he, I was impressed that he knew his body well enough to know that. And I was equally impressed that he had the discipline to do it because we're like a kid with a toy. Sometimes like this toy that I've got right now is pretty freaking awesome. I'm going to go play with it every chance I get. And then you break the toy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my suggestion is if you have a month between races, a month is all you really need. Take a true week off or deload at least where you're maybe running only twice, like five miles easy stuff. You're not doing anything taxing. You're truly recovering. You're going to lose zero fitness, but you're going to just absorb and recover and then move forward. So, um, and I'll use a personal example of me. I took a week off. Uh, this is two years ago after, I don't know, big bear or something. Uh, the Minnesota local Spartan race was four weeks later. So I'd only run for three weeks leading into the Minnesota race after taking like nine straight days off. I still think to this day that might've been the best I've ever felt in a race. And I performed well. I won handily and it was three weeks later. My body was probably better off for taking a breather. And then I had a great second half of the season and went took 11th at Worlds. Most of the pros are planning a deload middle of the season. I have another one planned where I'm going to take a full week off. So if you're that real fit person right now, either get through your next race, taper in and nail it and then reset. That's the first thing I tell somebody who's super fit, which seems counterintuitive, but it's true. And and you're only going to get better once you start training. A month back into your training cycle after a week off, you're going to feel better than you did before the break. Yeah. And so that's where my mind always goes mid-season. Well, you started a great analogy, which is the surfing. Mm -hmm. You're riding the wave in, but eventually the wave ends and you're at the shore and you need to get all the way back out there to pick the next wave up. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you're riding in and you realize like, this is a great ride, but it's not the wave I necessarily want to be on yet. The earlier you bail out, the quicker you're back picking up the wave you want. Yeah. It's just a shorter swim to get back there. Now it's not a perfect analogy, but if you're riding in and you don't want to get all the way to shore, it's smarter to bail earlier than later because you can get back to the next wave quicker. Yeah. And once you're back there on the board, catching the next one, you never regret it going back out for another. The people that went all the way to shore, chatted for a bit, came out and missed that big one because they rode out one that didn't really matter. They're the ones that regret it. Mm -hmm. So once you've gone through to the other side, you never regret being ready for the second race. It's just giving up that, that fitness right there in the moment. It's really tough to do. Yeah. And and I convince a lot of my athletes to take mid season breaks and it's not always well received. In fact, it's usually fought, but I would say I'm going to go 10 out of 10 athletes are going to be like, we're going to be three weeks back into a training cycle and they're going to be popping these workouts and, and feeling better. Oh my God, I feel so good. Yeah. They're going to feel humbled for a couple of weeks as they get started again and, and all of that. But, um, you, you don't lose fitness in a week. You lose a little bit of familiarity with the mechanics of running and how to run, but like it, it comes back so quick. And so, um, if you're feeling really fit, get through your next race. If you're listening to this and you don't have a race on your calendar, but you're really cranking, might be time to like time trial this weekend, take advantage of it, and then shut her down for a week. I know we have Utah coming up, Asheville coming up on the OCR scene anyways, but um, I'm planning my break after West Virginia. I'm going to take a week off after West Virginia and then and then build to uh, December Abu Dhabi is kind of the plan. And and so just think about that, I think. If you're one of those inconsistent people with training, then that doesn't apply to you. But if you've been nailing it, 
um, consider it. Yeah. Anything else with that one you want to throw at the, the people? Yeah, the, there's kind of those there's even two classifications in that one. There's one that's just, I've been training a lot for so long that I need a break. And then there's the, I started to sharpen and I may not feel like I need a break, but I've been doing some high-end anaerobic stuff. I've been doing a lot of Metcon work in the gym and I just actually have to reset my process a little bit. And so you may not even feel burnt out. No. You either feel burnt and fatigued or you feel very fit and like ready for what's next. But that either way, the site has to be on the horizon, which is, can I maintain this until I get there? Or am I going to hit a slump somewhere along the way? And the easiest way to miss the slump is to take it yourself. Like the easiest way to not get made fun of by someone is be self-deprecating and take the MOA right away. Yep. Like, oh, I know this is going to be a big issue. I'm just going to make fun of it now, get it out. Everyone laughs and then no one can use it. Same thing with, a, with burning out. If you know it's coming, do it to yourself. I'm going to miss three weeks later. I'm just going to take one right now. Boom. Can't use that against me later. It's done. And now I'm going to be more bulletproof to go through it. So whichever camp you are, don't forget that you're in that camp. Yeah. You know, you're in the camp when you're fatigued. You may not always know it when you feel great, but it's that foresight to see what's coming. It always catches up with you. You always pay for your efforts in one way or the other. and um, talking about the flip side of the coin, though, which you just started, which I wanted to get to next anyways, is uh, the one who's who's chronically fatigued at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I have if I don't have a half a dozen athletes who the check ins are getting like I'm tired. I abandoned my long run Saturday halfway through my workout didn't go We're to that point where volume and not enough recoveries come. And, and again, it's not the honeymoon phase of this all is worn off. Right. It's like oh, I got to get out the door again. And you're feeling that um, regularly. That camp as well, I would say, falls into the boat where take your mid, mid-season mid reset and, and then resume your training. You'd be shocked what that'll do for you in, in, in a good way. So same same prescription for both camps, but um, you have people also feeling that way. I think a lot of people are feeling that way right now. I think so too. And you've talked about it, that the actual science says – get between 14 and 21 days before you can start to lose fitness. Like truly lose fitness. I, yeah. I think it was, like, I've mentioned this a number of times, but there's a great, great, great episode on tapering on the science of ultra. It's one of their first, it's a podcast. It's like their sixth or ninth episode. It's, it's early on. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, that one taught me this exercise physiologist, uh, probably one of the most influential podcast episodes I've ever listened to on how to approach uh, races that matter to me. Mm. And typically we, we don't taper enough or we don't go in, um, fresh enough. we still have some residual fatigue in there. They were breaking down the science of what our bodies actually do and how they adapt as, uh, we taper or take time off. And they were talking about VO2 max testing and lactate threshold testing. And even if you went out and ran five easy miles every other day and you didn't even hit like anaerobic or lactate efforts, you still maintained all of your ability to buffer lactate, your VO2 max never changed, uh, yet your legs freshened up. So yes, point being is that we hold on to fitness much longer than we think we do. And a week off is nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's really not. 14 to 21 days, one week back and you're back where you were. You start missing more than that, 25 days, 30 days. Then it takes, then it starts to decay rapidly. But you can undo a week off mm-hmm. in a few days. You can undo two weeks off in a in a week. It's really, really our bodies 
hang on to things a lot longer than we think. Yep, they do. What uh, what would be the next camp you want to chat out as far as second half of the season goes? I want to talk to the aimless camp. The camp that's like, I did my races. I've got races later, but I'm not super fit. I'm not overly fit. I'm not underfit. I'm not burnt out. I just, I've been doing this for a while. It's pretty repetitive. I think it's too early to start prepping for my fall marathon or my fall OCR race, but it's like, I need something right now. That's the camp I want to talk to where they're the tweeners. They have a big race, but it's not for several months and they don't really need an off season because they're not overworked. They just need something to bridge the gap between where they are right now. And when that real big final eight to 16 week build begins. Yeah. And and that's the time where uh, motivation is sort of bottomed out for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's just you're not excited yet. It's not close enough where you feel the procrastination model and pressure of time where you're like, oh, yeah, it's coming. I need to be on it. You're in that like non-glorious, like married for 40 years phase to, yep. the, uh, to the training. And you're like, oh, like I, every day is the same and I'm not excited about it. So I think that I think that's a great camp to talk to. That's, I'm sure people who are married for 40 years are very excited about 40 years of marriage. I don't know. I, I don't have any perspective there. That was a weird analogy. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I get it. And, yeah. and I think that there's two ways to approach it. The first is to say, all right, I'm reinforcing my fitness. I'm taking a step back. I'm going to hit a couple weeks of good base training and skill work. And that never does wrong for anyone. Like you'll always be better for that. And you can prioritize some some fun metrics in there to actually track it and make it not so monotonous. You could hit a, an aerobic threshold test every single week for four or five weeks and watch your number. And it, it climbs, it climbs, it climbs. And, oh, I'm actually getting better. It stagnates. All right, I'm getting right back into training. But you can do some little work like that. But if that doesn't do it for you, um, which isn't a terrible idea to do that because it's so hot take some hard workouts out and just do base building. It's a little easier to go out and run for 45 minutes easy than it is to go run eight by thousand. But if that doesn't do it for you, I think mm-hmm. it's the perfect time to put in one of those skill blocks we've talked about in the past. We've talked about uphill skill work. We've talked about even more importantly, a downhill eccentric loading block where you get all of your downhill pounding out early and often for like four to six weeks, and then you can reap the benefits the rest of the year. Maybe some stride skill work. Maybe you're running OCR and you need grip and obstacle transition skill work. Maybe you're preparing for a traverse or something technical. And now it's time. I'm going to put three weeks into tech. All my runs will be on technical, nasty terrain. But picking one point of emphasis and making it a strength. That's the kind of thing that gets you out of bed each morning, realizing this used to not be a strength, and I'm going to come out of this with a strength. Yeah, well, give yourself uh, a day-to-day or week-to-week purpose that isn't necessarily the race coming up in four months, but it gives Mm -hmm. you something to focus on in the short term, which is ultimately going to pay off on race day. I think, um, what did I say to you? We were talking before we actually started recording. Bracken and I tend to bullshit for, what, 10 to 20 minutes before we start recording, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) We need to work on that. But in that in that time, um, you, I think you asked me, or I told you about my workout today. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of surprised to hear that I went out for like, I went and did 12 miles today, but I did like a uh, sort of like a threshold workout, a tempo run. And you're like, oh, you know, that's kind of grindy after your race. And I said, well, yeah, but, you know, mid season, like people forget about like 
once like people think they they did this threshold work, they did their tempo runs, they did all this, and then mid season they lose sight of all that and they're going to these speedier workouts and these sharpening workouts and all of that. And I didn't want to lose focus of the fact that stay power is still king. So even after a long grindy race, I did a long grindy workout today and I have another one planned for Saturday because I need to make sure I'm still laying a really nice foundation for the second half of my season. And people get caught in the, I'm doing 400s today or 800s. I'm going to the track. I'm doing my short spicy stuff. And and that person, that aimless person, um, especially tends to do those like sort of easy to go to workouts. And and those are the people where you need to go back and sort of like relay a foundation mid season at points too. So you can really have that stay power built. You can sharpen quickly. And so I would argue to that camp and I'm in that boat right now because I took a week and a half off after my ultra um, <clears throat> month and a half ago, I'm relaying a foundation. I'm re, you know, re-solidifying my stay power. And so that camp should also think about focusing on that as well. I like that. Gets forgotten about. It does. And those are the workouts you can do indefinitely. You can run two threshold workouts a week for six straight months. You're really not going to plateau or peak. Yeah. I mean, you might plateau fitness-wise, but you're not going to peak and then drop over the other side. You're just going to keep improving your ability to to buffer lactate. You're going to improve your ability to be efficient mm-hmm. with a moderate amount of fatigue in your legs, and that's the stuff you can you can just plug in that <laughs> those workouts and separate your season to make it last longer. So that that's a really good point. Well, yeah, because we had uh, there's a whole camp of people who like got real excited about spring races and early summer races, and and they did they sharpened and peaked, and that's great, that's okay. But then you got to go back and just relay that foundation because there's nowhere to go from there. And so if you keep finding yourself going and doing five minute or less intervals constantly uh, and wondering where you're going to go from here, like I would stop beating my head against the wall and I would go back and and start over is what I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll sharpen much quicker because you already have a base of fitness built from from the summer and spring. So I just want to add that in. Well, it's a good reminder because in sports, I say this all the time, but sports are a what have you done for me lately business. And as the athlete side, you oftentimes feel it's unfair towards me because people only remember the last race, but they don't remember what I did then or any of that line of thinking. But we are then unfair towards our training where we look at our fitness Mm -hmm. and say, I just nailed that race. And prior to that, I just did four straight weeks of VO2 max intervals. And I'm going to do that again because I'm going to be even more fit for my next one. And we forgot that we're using the same, what have you done for me lately mindset? We didn't do great in that race because of the previous four weeks. We did great in that race because of the previous 24 weeks. You know, the sum of that training got us to that point And it would be foolish to only look back a few weeks and keep repeating that, thinking that I'll just keep getting better. We're built upon blocks of training, not weeks of training. And so if you want to match what you just did, but better, you have to repeat a lot of what you did prior to that point, not just the the super sharp, sexy workouts. So you're right that we can't reset briefly. You got to reset an entire stage back almost in order to step ahead. It's two steps back, three steps forward, rather than one step back, two steps forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We forget about it completely. We start focusing on the fancy, glorious workouts, and we forget about the ones that got us here in the first place. So I agree. Going back to fundamentals, um, even if it doesn't fully make sense necessarily, like we're 
mid-season and I'm going to put in a threshold focus for a couple of weeks before just a few weeks of sharpening for Asheville, let's say, um, might not really make sense uh, on paper, but it really does make sense in theory and physiologically how our bodies work. So um, keep that in mind. I just think like mid-season, everybody's like, where do I go from here? What do I do? How do I, like, what do I do? I've been doing the same workouts now for months. I've been like, what new stimulus is going to actually get me better? Well, yes, consistency over time will, but you might as well maximize, uh, you know, your progress from your workouts. And so taking a step back to take a step forward. We yeah. Would yeah, I agree with that. And if you were to prioritize skill, for example, rather than moving back, like you don't, let's say you don't need to move backwards. You're, you're not sharp. I just want to do some, I have a build coming up. I have it scheduled. There's just, I got some time before then. Let's talk about prioritizing a skill. Cause I think that that's something that really, it's kind of, a basic idea, but it's advanced in that most people don't ever take the time to take a weakness or take a skill and turn it into a sharp strength of theirs. And one of those that we always hear about are, are downhills, people's yep. descending. And every race has descents from cross country to trail running, road racing, mountain running, OCR. There's all descents of some sort, even looking at cross country at Nike nationals every year. They generally, it's what, out in California or something. They're not the crazy hilliest courses, but there's always a downhill or two. And even the best high school runners in the nations are separated out on that downhill where there's people who attack it. And then there's people who float down it without look like, looking like they're trying and they pass people. And it looks mm -hmm. like they recover. And then there's the people who are leaning away from the hill and their legs are splaying out and they're slamming hard into the ground. And you can tell you're taking a beating and you're losing time. So even at something as simple as cross country or road racing, the ability to use a downhill is really, really needed. And it's always, always exposed in a race. So you could do a three, four, five, six week block prior to any sort of block focused on downhills. Mm -hmm. And that could consist of downhill strides one day or two days a week. It could have a long, easy downhill session where you're running a loop or a hilly trail where you prioritize downhill perfect form. You could do some short intervals downhill that don't compromise your progression at all because you're taking such long rest in between. But three, four times a week hitting some sort of downhill skill so that now when you start your big buildup on the other side, it's built upon this new skill that you didn't have before. I agree with that fully. I also think if you are an OCR athlete listening to this, um, <clears throat> you know, most race series uh, have kind of gotten embarrassing with their carries, their heavy carries, as we call it, the bucket carries, the sandbags. Uh, you don't see much in the first half of the year that's really going to break a race open. But if there ever was a time, talking skill work, to start getting prepared for the ones that are going to matter, the mountain races with the heavy carries and all of those things, it's now. So I would add to your descending block because these things do come to mountain races, these championship races more often than not. Um is a carry focus block is is just going to pay off these races all coming up that matter all are in the mountains they all have elevation change and there can be minutes difference on some of these heavy carries so that would be another one i would shift to focus to more regularly because it's the quickest way to ruin your race 
you know, J- John Elbin in 2019, the last time we had Spartan World Champs, should have been the Spartan World Champion. J- John Elbin missed a spear, and he got completely wrecked by the sandbag, the double sandbag. Bracken, you had a first, uh, like first person or second person view there because you were at the sandbag carries a spectator, I remember, um, mm-hmm. and you saw how he looked. And John Elbin should have been should have been the world champ. If John Elbin hit his spear, he might have been the world champ alone. John Elbin practices double sandbag, he absolutely would have been the world champ. And that's what bit him. That cost him his second in a row. And so um, that's just one example right there that I think the heavy carry focus yeah. will pay off uh, if you do. If anything, it's strength work for your legs in disguise, which also will pay off for climbing anyways. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And then the final skill that I think almost any runner will benefit from is an actual block. And it doesn't sound like skill, but a block spent working on your core and your hips really, really intensely though. And a lot of the time, a lot of times people shy away from this. They start doing extra core work or hip work and they go out for a run and they're just smoked. Mm -hmm. I remember in Colorado, the first time I was out there, I was, I put an emphasis on my core work because I knew how demanding the downhills were. And I started getting massive side cramps and like oblique twinges on downhills because my core was already so fatigued. It couldn't support itself, the work it needed to do on these long downhills. And I had to just cut it out. I had to do one or the other and I couldn't stop running. But in a time where running doesn't matter performance wise, you can really focus on core, your whole trunk and your hips, bulletproofing that area, and then just going out and putting up with the bad runs for a couple of weeks until it stops being so demanding on you. And then you come out the other side with this super firm, strong structure that you can build your fitness on top of, and your stride has way more staying power, and you have less side-to-side motion. But you can't really do that while doing big workouts. It's really tough for someone who's weak in the core and hips to really hammer that area and still run well. So if you just sacrifice your running and say, all my runs are going to suck for two weeks and then it's going to get better. That's one thing that almost every runner could benefit from. You hear that all the time. Like people are, are bitching and moaning about they start a strength program and it's affecting my running and it's hindering my running and every run has been crap mm-hmm. and my legs are sore. And so we avoid it. Like we avoid that. So our running can come first, but but recentering yourself with that midseason. I'm actually doing that very same thing right now, Bracken. It's going back. Oh, yeah. yeah, this last two weeks, which also was part of why they went so poorly for me training-wise, was I was hammering my legs. I was going back to these bigger movements that were important for me to relay a new foundation, and, and it impacted my running for sure. It was the sum of all parts. Um, but you have to understand like what the what's going to come of this, and that is you, like, you will come through to the other side. I luckily did just in time. Um, so yeah, re, re, recentering yourself with that's actually very important mid season. Cause a lot of us has let, have let the strength, you know, taper off, so to speak. There's this, this thing that happens in the second half of vertical races, races that have a lot of vert up and down and technical races where people feel like they can't push anymore and they start to crumble. And it often gets, the finger gets pointed at nutrition or at fitness, And sometimes it's the core. It's that your core can't keep you strong any longer and you can't keep your great stride going. And so you can't use your attacking stride in the second half of a race because your hips and trunk are so fatigued of doing extra work that they're not prepared for. 
And it's not like this magic button that you push and you're better. But if you address it for several weeks, you will be amazed at your staying power in the second half of races that are demanding races. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I wanted to touch on uh, another, uh, another camp. And that is the camp who feels like they have underperformed up to this point in the season. The ones who feel like I haven't still raced to my potential yet. And I'm frustrated. Like I know I'm, I'm ready to pop a race, but like, why isn't why haven't I put it together yet? I think there's a lot of people that say like, I'm ready to go to the next level. And why haven't I done it yet? Um, there has to be a handful of people out there that, that can relate to that or most anybody. Um, and for those folks, I would say, you know, you need to go back and you need to look at your races in particular, and you need to come up with a list of where things could have been better or where they went wrong and start accruing um, like a checklist of sorts as in, oh, I got every uphill. I resorted to power hiking earlier than I should have. And I got passed or the dang Olympus gets me every time that new stupid slick wood or whatever it is. And you'd come up with your list. We're talking skill work again, but but coming up with with what it is that you feel like were gaps in your performance that have kind of barriers to success, so to speak. And it's not too late to put in a focus there. It's I mean, your fitness is number one, but all those nuances within your fitness still matter too. So um, that might help you give a little more focus to what you're doing right now. If you can break it down, understand your weaknesses. Um, now you have a lot of data from the first half of the year. So this is real time, you know, data and, and use it, make that your focus. We talked about downhills. We talked about carry work, but whatever yours specifically is, I think that's something to do now. Cause now, you know, it's, we're halfway through the season, you know, where you've your strengths and weaknesses probably lie. So I would, I would make that list and then figure out a way to infuse it into your training regularly. It's interesting. This is, this all is something I just went through about an hour and a half mm-hmm. ago. I had a call with a athlete named Zach that I started working with just a couple weeks, several weeks ago, but we had worked together in the past extensively. Yep. And he now doesn't have another, his next weekend, he has a, a 12 hour race, but he's prepping for a 24 hour world's toughest at the end of the year. Yep. And I, we just talked about this where we did kind of a cram session to get ready for a high rocks race. And now we have to build towards 24 hour, but it's still a little early out to build towards that. And so his homework this week was to go through and identify everything that he did well in 2017 in training, because that was his biggest performance ever at World's Toughest Mudder. And then compare that to where he's at right now and see like, what are we missing? Yeah. yeah. Because it should be my job, right? To say, this is what you need to do. But at the end of the day, 24 hour racing is a lot less black and white. And so his experience and what went well leading up to 2017, 24 hour race is not going to align with my experience of what might go right for other people. And so I bring my plan to the table. He brings his experience to the table. And now we're going to mold the two together and make sure we haven't missed out on some of the things that were built in the past to make it a really successful race. And like you said, that list is huge. Once you write it down, you can't argue with it. Mm-mm. I faded here. This year, I didn't fade there. That year, I was doing this. I haven't had that present. Boom. I've just identified one thing that I know I have to emphasize moving forward. Yep. I think there's power to that. That, that comes back to logs and and mm-hmm. just being in touch with your efforts. But 
I don't know. It's easy for us to be like, well, this is where I'm at. It's middle of the season. I'm a guy who's never going to be on the podium in my age group because I've taken 10th-ish in all these races. And and surrendering to that right now isn't really the right the right move. Um, it's it's sort of sinking your teeth into what you can what you can improve upon because it's not too late to, to do those things. So I, I think like your history of your first half of the season's results isn't necessarily going to define the second half of the season for you. So I, that's just one other step. Um, I think people should take what, what else do you have that comes to mind mid season looking ahead, even as far as December, anything else? Uh, this is something we've talked about in terms of building a full season out. But if you're looking that far ahead, let's say Abu Dhabi for you, or let's say you're looking ahead to a world marathon major for someone else that has this type of thing, one certain thing we have to be good at. You're going to have to be good at sand and hills. They might have to be good at running concrete for two and a half, three hours, whatever it is. You can start laying the baseline for that as skill work in your current block of training. Mm-hmm. So for someone prepping for a fall marathon who right now is not, maybe that means shifting one of your workouts to the roads one day per week right now and starting to build that resistance to impact up and getting a feel for what shoes do my feet respond to? Or maybe for someone who's planning for a 24-hour race, it means right now all we're going to do is start carrying a pack on our easy runs. Or for you, for sand, maybe it means right now I start doing my strides or my one easy run per, per week in sand, or I start doing some of my work single-legged rather than double. Whatever it is, you identify a skill you're going to need later and you start sprinkling it in now so it's not a drastic direction shift once that block actually begins. Does that make sense? So you're not starting from scratch. You're yeah. not starting behind. Yeah, you have ball. some basis there. You know, I've been doing that. Um, <clears throat> listen, I'm not the world's best climber but I'm a hell of a lot better than I was before. And I've been filtering that into my training, knowing that there's bigger mountain races coming up, even though it might not serve me immediately. I know that uh, the foundation will be there so I can do real purposeful work uh, to get ready for those races that matter. And so um, I think that's actually super, super smart. Laying a very subtle, consistent foundation for what you're going to need months down the line just makes that training way more effective later. Yeah, if you know you're going to spend hours in mountains later on, maybe every other long run right now you do on the hilliest terrain you can find. Or every other speed session or every third speed session or maybe every third rep of a set on a treadmill to do it uphill instead of flat. It doesn't change your workout at all, but it starts planting the seed for what you need later. Yeah. And then the last thing I would I would say we should just touch on real quick is, you know, uh the hype of the first half of the season was real this year. There's never been such a hype to come back to racing ever. So good to be out there. Normalcy back on course. Life has resumed all of those wonderful things. Um, So everybody put a really big focus early in the year. Like a lot of emotional energy went into like March, April, May, June. I'm training up for this. Everybody's done their ultra. They've done their marathon or they've done their trail race. They've done something of emotional value already. And so now there there's that like empty sort of feeling like I I don't know what uh, emotional value uh, race or event I have on my calendar second half of the year, because we all like really went after it early and you can't blame everybody for doing that. It makes sense. But 
getting something again scary or big or um, of meaning, like true meaning later in the year, I think would just reignite you if you're in that sort of camp where you're you're wandering right now. Um, you know, to come down from the big events is hard. And I think most everybody listening probably has done a big event now and have had to come down and, and now they're looking to get reignited and that's, well, let's pick something else out big and, and let's shift our focus. So I think there's that whole camp because this, this year has been different in that way that everybody I think has done their big thing already because they couldn't wait to. And so that next big thing yeah. might need to be looming or be decided upon. So I would just get your wheels turning that way if you're if you're lacking motivation now that we're in the mid-season slump, so to speak. Yeah, start perusing some forums and some Google searches for races that are out there and start watching some races and just following random links on YouTube during some workouts. I found myself the other day watching the Norseman uh, Ultra Triathlon. Oh. And it was amazing how much I wanted to do it. Really? but I wouldn't have clicked on the link normally. It was just the next up video in a, in a LinkedIn on the YouTube video I was watching, but it didn't make me do it. But at the end of it, I thought, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to go back and do that six hour race in Tennessee that, that I think I'll for sure put that on there because it, it piqued my interest and then turned me towards one thing I do want to do. Yeah. So that video itself didn't, didn't really do anything for me. And yet it did a lot to me mentality. So sometimes just following those random threads of races and videos get you to something that thinks, Oh, this is going to be the next thing I go after. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to be one of those cross training type, like we are, and you got to be watching something while you're doing it. When I think summer running, the first thing that pops into my mind for like probably the last six years is audiobooks. And that's, that's not what I would have expected. But whenever an athlete right now is talking to me about, oh, it's such, it's so hot. I just can't get out the door. I realized that every year in June, I start up a book series. Okay. And it can't be coincidence. It's got to be that my motivation's waning. The heat's hot. <laughs> like The heat's very hot and it's humid. And having the next chapter to look forward to gets me out the door for my easy run. Yeah. And I probably go through, if you looked at my Audible account, I probably have double or triple the hours listened in June, July, August than all the rest of the year combined. Because that's my crutch. It gets me going. Hmm. And what did I do last week, Kirk? I started up a training plan. And I have to thank Rich Ryan for that. Okay. I had a really, really good 75-minute call with Rich Ryan last weekend. Oh, what happened in that call? Um, I asked him to coach me. Oh, you did? Okay. And we talked through everything I need, broke me down as an athlete. I was on the other side of the coaching call, got done, sent me an athletic questionnaire, like a good coach should do. He was great. He asked me a lot of questions I haven't thought about in a long time. I opened it up and I thought, I'm fired up to work out and I don't want to give my training over to anybody. And it took 75 minutes talking with a coach to realize I don't want to coach but it was so useful. I don't even know if that makes sense to you, but I was, I needed something. I thought it was coaching. I called him, I got done and thought, wow, I'm ready to go work again. Like just having someone to bounce ideas off and ask me some of the hard questions was enough. So I called him right back. I said, Hey, before you even get started on building anything, thank you for that. That was everything I needed. 
I don't want coaching moving forward. I do want to pay you your consulting fee for that 75 minutes because that was super useful. And I'd like to use you as a mentor and a consultant throughout this training mm. block. But that's what I realized I needed. I didn't want someone to write my training. I want to do it myself. I didn't need someone to check my workouts each day. I want someone to check in with. Interesting. Yeah. And we talked about that and I'm too close to you to make, to, to be that person now. Yeah. Uh-huh. But Rich is right in the sweet spot and he was gracious about it. I could see him getting pissed and be like, you just wasted my time. But that's exactly what I needed. It wasn't the purpose of the call, but it accomplished its purpose. And so I got right back to training, but non-coincidentally, I started up a an audiobook series again last Monday and now I'm on the third book already. And you know, it's that's just the way this works for me. So for me, my crutch is audiobooks when the weather gets nasty and my motivation's down. Hmm. You know, I didn't even think about uh you know, I forget to uh, plug the fact that we are coaches, but if you're lost right now or in the middle of the season and stuck, it it's a damn good time. I mean, look at you, what you just did. You had a consult call. It's a damn good time to just let somebody tell you what to do and how to navigate the rest of your season. So hiring a coach or getting on some sort of plan is um, probably a really good move if you're, if you're not sure where to turn right now either. Didn't even think about that until you brought it up, but that'd make a lot of sense. It was worth it. Um, and he being a nice guy is trying to not charge me for that. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll swap work or something like that, which fine. But I, I would have been willing to pay him almost anything he asked for because it was so clarifying. Hearing him ask the right questions was really, really clarifying. And so, yeah, hiring a third party individual, a professional, someone who mm-hmm. can connect with you and ask the difficult questions and kind of shine the light into the dark corners of what you haven't been looking at, those dusty corners. Mm-hmm. It was so helpful. I highly recommend it. And if you don't choose us, choose Rich. He was really great to work with over the phone. Hmm. Look at that plug, Rich. You better be listening, son. That's right. <laughs> um, I think we chatted this one out enough. Anything else jump out at you? No, but I have two things to talk about. Okay. Both are bragging. Neither are necessarily about me. Okay. The first is that there's a guy I work with. His name is Corey. And Corey is one of those people that just shows up every day. He, whatever I write down, he does. Okay. When he has questions, he asks them. And when he needs it, he asks for a call and we do a call and we go over it. And he's very low maintenance, but he's very committed. And I think five weeks ago, six weeks ago, he ran a 5K PR and he averaged 722 per mile, which he was very happy with. And this Sunday, he did a four-mile race mm-hmm. and he averaged 706 per mile. Holy smokes. So he just followed his process. He raced his 5K and kept building, stacking on top of it rather than saying, oh, you know what, Let, let's switch this and start doing that. He just followed the process and he ran his four mile faster pace-wise than his 5K six weeks ago. So I was just really proud of Corey. He's not a guy that would brag on social media about it. He's not a guy that would, he didn't even message me after the race about it, but he's just done it correctly all year, showed up every day and he's getting his rewards for it. So I wanted to brag about Corey. There's that whole, like, half the battle is just showing up. Yeah. Screw that. 95% of the battle is just showing yeah. up. There's yeah, more seriously. than 50%. You just show up and invest in yourself every day, and you're going to progress. Yes. So that's awesome. Great. Second thing, I received a package in the mail last week, Kirk. Yeah. 
craft greatness boxers, boxer briefs. Craft greatness boxer briefs? Those are the ones I've said are my current favorite running brief. Mm-hmm. A three inch, so they're technically short boxer briefs, semi compressive, great material. I wore them for six hours in Tennessee, no chafing for the first time ever in an ultra. Loved them. I got an unmarked package in the mail. Someone sent me two pairs of them. No idea who it is. No idea. It was postmarked through, <sighs> I want to say, like Ukraine or something like that. Something wild. I don't know if some European listener sent it or if someone ordered it for me and it shipped through some factory in Europe, but no return address, no name on it. Somebody listened and decided, you know what? He's so passionate about his underwear. I'm going to ship him (laughs) some more underwear. That's amazing. An anonymous donation of sorts to Bracken Cracker. In any other any other venue in life, that would be so weird and inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> to have someone ship you underwear. But it was so appreciated. <laughs> it was one of the best gifts I've got in a while. So I was pumped. I was, uh, I was very confused at first, but we couldn't find out who sent it. So it has to be a listener who sent me Craft Greatness 3-inch boxer briefs. I'm getting twinges of envy over here. Well, I will say I had four running public logoed beers on the 4th of July, and I felt pretty cool about that. And that was also a gift. So, But you got that gift too, so I can't like one-up you there. So I'm sure back in your bachelor days, people were sending you underwear. <laughs> Probably their own. Used, yeah. <laughs> but this is the first time in my life I've received lingerie from anyone, Kirk. And it really makes me feel special. That's not lingerie. It's whatever I say it is. I mean, if you're dancing around the house shaking your ass for Lisa in it, walking into the room all sexy-like, then yeah, it's lingerie. But That's you're the putting only way I walk into a room. <laughs> shaking your ass sexy-like? Own it. All right, I've yet to experience that. Next time we room together, Kirk, I'll wear my craft greatness. One can dream. So that's my strange way of of wrapping this up is a thank you to whatever anonymous donor is out there. And they had tags on them and everything. So it wasn't like some sketchy. It came in legit packaging. It was sealed, tags on. Mm -hmm. It was legitimate. It was very thoughtful. Um, I guess one last uh, matter of business then is... Running public shirts. We're putting them on sale. Everything must go. So. Okay. In the next couple of days, go look. We're going to really slash. We're slashing prices across the board everywhere on the remaining running public t-shirts. When we sell those babies, we're going to get some new sweet ones in. So uh, go buy some. If you don't need one or we don't have your size, buy a size that fits somebody you love. They're going on sale, folks. We did not discuss this, but I support this. Yeah, I just made that up off the cuff because because the shirt sales have slowed and we need to get rid of some inventory so we get some new cool stuff in. All right, we're slashing prices. I'll tell you what, you haven't discussed this, but I'll, let's do a buy one, get one. You buy one, you'll get one delivered to your house. <laughs> That's how it always works. You buy one and then it gets delivered to your house. Buy one, get one, folks. <laughs> That's misleading. But yes, slashing prices. Go buy a t-shirt. <laughs> Figure out the rest of your season. Stay focused. Make smart decisions. Thank you. Roll the music.